Not long ago, I was in a conversation um, with a guy, with a friend, and he just, he just sat, and I've never seen somebody so tired, and he just had his hands, I mean, his elbows on his knees, and his, and his face in his hands, and tears just rolling down his face, and he said, Dan, I'm just so tired. He said, I'm just so worn. And you know what that's like, don't you? We've been there. Some of you, because, because I'm pastor, I know this. And some of you are there now. And we've talked about that and prayed. I had a lady tell me recently, she said, I'm, she said, Dan, I'm so tired, I don't think I can even pray. I don't even know what to pray. I don't feel like I even have the energy to. And the thing is this. You've either been there, and when I just talk about it, it brings back that emotion, and and you know what it's like to go through those storms and those moments. Or you're in one right now, and you could say, I absolutely understand that song. Or you will go through that. So I'm going to encourage you to check out the the version, the, the verses there, or to take notes today with your handout, because you'll either need this, or you will, you will encounter someone who needs this. Whenever I hear a message that I think doesn't directly apply to me in this moment, I know God's got somebody this week He's going to bring by that needs to hear uh, some of that. What do you do when you're worn? What do you do when the wheels come off and it just seems like it's just chaos and, and, and you don't know if you've got the resources to be able to, to handle that? You, know, the, um, you get the call, you know, the, the, the results come back and it's a word like cancer. And all of a sudden your whole world just stops. Or the boss calls you into the office and he said, I, I, I don't know how to tell you this, we're having to make some cutbacks where, and, and everything else just becomes blurry because after that, you kind of know what's coming. Someone breaks off an engagement and you had all of your hopes and your dreams pinned on that and you thought about it and you began to plan for that and emotionally you're just... Or someone dies. I've gotten the call several times when, Dan, we got some bad news. Why? We've all had those moments, and we all will have those moments. What do you do when all of a sudden your plans are just thrown to the side because of an unexpected future? That is spiritual warfare. That is our battle with the world. Scripture tells us that we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We've spent a lot of time talking about the flesh because I think you are your worst enemy. I really do. I think that Satan doesn't have to spend a lot of time with some of us, me particularly, because I'm perfectly capable of messing up my own life. I don't even need demonic help. But I find the next battle that most of us engage in most of the time is, is this battle with the world. 
And I get that. Here's what I get a lot as a, as a Christian, and you probably get this. I get it. May, I don't know if I get it more because I'm a minister, but I have had people to say, particularly men for some reason. I don't know why you think you're a martyr, but uh, we, 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 you ever hear people say this? Yeah, but you don't know what it's like in the real world. Yeah, I'm, I'm out there in the real world. Yeah, but yeah, pastor, yeah, but I'm in the real world. What do you, where do you think I live? I mean, you know, I think... And what we, the, here's the fallacy, here's, here's the thing though, the, the, the premise of that even. I mean, we all live in the real world. We all go through the same aches and pains and hurts and we've, we've all had that to hammer us. Being a follower of Jesus does not insulate you from that. What I'm discovering, the further I go with him is this. This place, this thing, this situation... The circumstances that you're in that you call the real world, spiritual world, what's happening behind that is even more real than this. This is temporary. This will fade away. This will, this will end one day. It has a beginning and it has an end. The real world does not you're in a real battle, and you have a real enemy, and it's the world. Now, we're not the first ones to, to face this. We're not, we're not the only people. In fact, there is a guy in Scripture, when I began to think about this battle about the world, this battle we face with the world, who better, to, who could speak into that than, than a guy in the Old Testament named Jeremiah? He's the weeping prophet. And he is in this terrible time in his life. He, he lived, this is history, he lived thousands of years ago. He was a prophet um, in the Old Testament period of Israel's history. And during his lifetime, he personally saw the nation that he loved, the people that he, his heart just cared about so much, be devastated. D during this moment, the nation where he lived went into a severe economic crisis. And we can relate to this a little bit. We're not here. We're not there. I'm not going to try to draw a lot of parallels nationally or politically. Uh, but they were in bad shape. They had caused some of that, and they had made some bad decisions. They had aligned themselves with some nations. They probably didn't have business, you know, being involved with and relying on others. Uh, a foreign enemy came in and absolutely terrorized his home. Uh, the women were raped. Men were killed. They said their princes were hung by their thumbs. Uh, things were, they were tortured. I mean, just all kinds of incredible things happened. They captured the best of the people, uh, took them back as slave labor in Babylon. Um, it, Jeremiah witnessed incredible inhumanities, all kinds of suffering. I can't tell you, you know, we think, yeah, well, my life's pretty bad too. It got so bad. And this is just, I'll just tell you one thing because it's just too gruesome to, to go on about. But he said at one point, they're under siege from this nation. They're locked in. They can't get out. There are no resources. And as children would die, they made this incredibly hard decision. Some of the people turned to cannibalism because they were that hungry. That's how desperate it was. And Jeremiah just weeps. 
And this is what we remember him for. We know him as a guy. I think if we were going to, to, to build a statue or, or a painting, it, we would have tears running down his face. During this time, Jeremiah wrote two books. One of them you're probably pretty familiar with. It's the, it's the prophecy of Jeremiah. And he's, he's saying, uh, we're going through this horrible time, but here's what God says. There are solutions, there are answers, and, and it's because of us. And so he's very prophetic in that. And the other book is one that maybe you're not as familiar with. Most people don't enjoy reading it or know a lot about it. It's the book that follows that prophecy, and it's called Lamentations. It's very short. In fact, in my Bible, it just takes up seven pages. Lamentation is a word we don't use very often anymore. It's actually an old English word that means to complain. So you can call this book the book of complaints, just a book of whining. You see, when I unload, when, when, I, when I give God all my sin, when I just say, God, here's my sin, that's called confession. Okay, I'm confessing. But when I just complain and I just, oh, God, yeah, and do this to the Lord, that's called lamenting. And this book is really just a whole book of lamenting. It just laments, and that means to complain. When I, when I, when I do that, and probably some of us have had uh, that, those experiences, or maybe you're there right now. So this is not, I'll just tell you, it's not a feel-good book. It's not a happy book. It's, it wouldn't translate well into a, a, to a fun television series. Oh, let's go watch Lamentations. Oh, that show it always makes me cry. So it's, it's just this, this horrible thing. But right in the middle of it, there is this powerful, encouraging message on what to do when your world crashes and how to rebuild your life afterwards. And let me say this. I hope that you don't need this today. I know some of you do. I hope your world's not falling apart. But life is not always going to be smooth. And you need to know what do I do when that day comes? Because your emotions will so overwhelm you, you can't think. Have you ever had those? I can't, I can't think. I don't know what to do. And, and you, it's just like all of a sudden you're paralyzed. It's like somebody, you know, hit you with a taser emotionally and even physically. You think, I, I, can't, I, you know, I have a friend who sometimes just can't get out of bed. I said, I, just, I said, what are you doing? I'm not even out of bed. I said, I'm in my pajamas. I couldn't even get out of bed today. You have those moments. Jeremiah has some answers for us. And what I've hoped, because I've, I've always thought that if, if you just hear a message that's only theory, you know, if we come in this room on Sunday mornings and I go, blah, 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 see you, have a nice lunch, and you go, well, okay, that was good, but, you know, it's just like a, something we do as a religious duty or a habit, then I've, I've failed, but if you can walk back out, if I can leave here knowing, okay, I'm in this crisis or I'm in this moment, but I, I kind of know what to do. I've got some action steps. I've got something that's going to take me forward through this and in this. And like we just sang a moment ago, I'm going I'm to see victory. I'm going to see redemption rise up out of these ashes. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what do we do. Here's some of the lessons that, that I'm learning and that Jeremiah is teaching. The first one is, is in Jeremiah chapter 3. Um, and he says that when, when my world is just coming apart, the first thing I need to do is just to upload 
all those frustrations, all of that to God. You can complain to God. It's okay. I don't know if you've ever done that. Now, here's what I, I feel kind of guilty. I go, Lord, things are so bad. And I'm thinking, but you should probably, you know, everything is grace. Everything is, is so good. Uh, so I feel a little guilty. I feel like, you know, well, I shouldn't complain. And I always preface it with, Lord, I don't mean to, but however, uh, if, excuse me, but I just want to say this one little thing. I'm dying over here, you know. That's what Jeremiah does. And you know what? It's okay. And here's the thought that hit me. Jeremiah, is, is, he's a God follower. Okay, I don't know some of you think, because here's what people will tell you. Well, you shouldn't feel that way. Have you ever done that? you ever said that to a friend? You're having coffee or your mama? Well, you shouldn't feel that way. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> I think, well, that didn't really help a lot. Or your heart is broken. The first time I ever got my heart broken, a guy sat down with, with me and he said, you know what? I know that this is puppy love, but it's real to the puppy, isn't it? I thought, you are really good. You're really good at this. You know? <laughs> I said, you know what? I'm not a puppy, and I don't think you're going to be able to counsel me from this moment forward, so never mind. I shouldn't have told you. I shouldn't have come to you. Jeremiah is not just somebody who knows God. Jeremiah speaks for God. Isn't that cool? I mean, that just, I think God, so you gave him permission to do this? Then I don't feel so bad. Sometimes it's just a sense, it's just a false guilt. When you think, well, I just, I can't complain, I can't say this. I think, I'm just, I'm going to tell you, I think it's the first thing you ought to do. Say, God, I just want to be honest. You're reading my thoughts. You see everything. You know what I'm thinking. So I'm just going to say it. And so here goes. He can, he can handle it. That's what Jeremiah does. He just complains. He just... <laughs> oh, listen to this. This is Lamentations chapter 3, uh, first 10 verses. This is what he says. Have you ever felt like this? See if you can identify. I am a man who has seen affliction. I am a man. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. <clears throat> I'd kind of like to just, could we? No, no. <laughs> By the rod of his wrath, he has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than the light. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. <laughs> He has made my skin grow old. He's blaming God for his... Okay. Uh, <clears throat> this, see these lines, Lord? You did that. He's broken my bones. He has surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. And even though I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. I can't even pray. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Does that kind of surprise you? This is the prophet. This is not somebody way out there who has no clue about God. or any. This is a guy who is speaking on his behalf. He's the, he's the liaison between God and people. And he's calling God out in the Bible. Really? And you know what? He's just getting started. He goes on like this for seven more pages in my Bible, five chapters. <laughs> well, 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 I mean, he just, and, and God just takes it. 
if I were the Lord and I were putting these books together into, you know, into this so I could have Scripture to give to my people, I'd have left this one out. <laughs> you know, I'd have just said, Jeremiah, we're not putting that in. That's, no. But, but you know what the thing I love about God is that He can handle your frustration. He can handle your anger. He can handle your gripes and your grief. Because actually, this whole book is just one long complaint. And God's allowing Jeremiah to vent. You say, go ahead, what, what else? What else is bothering you? Well, I'm also very disappointed in the way that you, you know, I mean, he's just, he goes, you know, I can remember a time just praying and praying and praying, and God didn't answer the prayer the way I wanted him to. Things fell apart. And I went back to the Lord, and I said, okay, this is one of those chances. This is one of those times. I'm just saying, if you'd have done it my way, it would have worked out really good. You know, I, I had this, and I knew, and you, and, you know, and, and I know the Lord is going, you're kidding. Let me show you something. <laughs> but he, he didn't, God, God, because God is so good. Here's another verse. Check this out. Verse 17 and 18, Jeremiah says this. I cannot find peace. And this, this, this I kind of highlighted. I cannot remember happiness. I mean, he's, is this the most pitiful thing? I don't even remember what it's like to be happy. Are you happy? I know. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even Let me think. No, I don't even know what that is. I, don't even, I can't even remember happiness. I tell myself, I'm finished. I'm done. I'm worn. And here, I, I, w- I would have left this out if I were God. And I can't count on the Lord to do anything for me. And you, I can't count. I think, and God says, okay, let's put that in. You ever felt that way? Probably. God, I've had enough. This isn't right. This isn't fair. This is just not fair. I go to Sunday school. I'm in a small group. God, I tithe. You owe me. You know, and we feel that way. God says, it's okay. Upload those frustrations. The thing God doesn't owe you an explanation for anything he lets happen in your life or for anything that goes on because God is God and you are not. Sometimes I get that a little mixed up. And there are things that are going to happen in your life that you're never going to understand. I know it's little consolation sometimes when we sing songs or when we say to one another, we'll understand it when we get to heaven. But I believe that. I think one day I'm going to get to heaven and go, oh my goodness, now I, understand, now I see that if you had answered my prayer, oh, that would have been terrible. That, I think we'll understand it. Most of the things that happen, we won't. But in the midst of this, He's not going to love you any less because he can handle it when you pitch a fit. He's God. So once I've let it out, I've just kind of exhausted that. And there was a time I can remember I was upset with my mom and I was just going, you know, and I just, and she just kind of stood there. My mom was about, I don't know, five feet tall. I mean, she was just this little, just sweet little lady, very tenderhearted, and she just stood there. And when I just was uh, kind of caught, stopped to catch a breath, she said, are you done? You know, it's kind of like, 
don't patronize me. I just thought, don't say it like that. You know, and she was, are you finished? And, it, and there's something about that that's good. So when you've done that, you're ready to move into this next thing. I need to, to turn my focus away from my pain to God's love. Begin to focus in, you know, not on my problems and my pressure and all that's going on. And I may be mad. I may, be, I may feel even mad at God. Um, and I'm protesting. I'm fussing. I need to s- stop and just realize he loves me no matter what, even right now. And now that I've done all that, I'm a little embarrassed. Uh, I can't believe I said those things, Lord. And he says, okay, I'm still here and I still love you. In verse 19, Jeremiah says, The thought of my pain and my homelessness is bitter poison. I think of it constantly, and my spirit is depressed. Well, yeah, because you think of it constantly. You know how you just think of something and you can't stop thinking about it? Are you ever with somebody and they're thinking about it and they can't stop? And you, know, and you talk about it and then you talk about something else and in a minute they go, and another thing I told her. And you go, what? What are you talking about? I'm talking about that again. And you know that the minute, you know, their thoughts just keep going back to it. Because you think of it constantly, we get bitter. And bitterness is a poison that only you are drinking. It's not hurting anybody else. That person you're bitter against, that situation that you're resentful about, and that, that guy you really, really don't like, the person who did you so wrong, and you, and you just you think of these things, and you wish you'd have said that, and I should have done this, that's just making you miserable. It's, it's like a self-inflicted wound that you just you keep doing. Jeremiah says it's bitter. It's not fair. It's not fair. And he said, I think about it all the time. Think about it all the time. Well, how's that working for you, Jeremiah? Is that, you know, no, well, really it's pretty good because the more I lament about it, just the better I feel. No, that never works. That never works. And he says this, my spirit is depressed. Check it out. Listen, you're never going to get over your depression until you stop being bitter. And you're never going to stop being bitter until you change gears, until you shift and begin to forgive. I know that's hard. I don't say it lightly until you begin to let it go. Because bitterness will keep you caught in your own pain and it'll just create, just generate more depression. He says, the longer I think about it, the more depressed I get. Okay, simple. You're probably not going to want to do this. Change what you focus on. Change what you're thinking about. So here's what he says. He says, I began to turn, and this is what Jeremiah said, yet hope returns. Hope returns when I remember this one thing. Look at this next verse. He says, the Lord's unfailing love and his mercy still continue, fresh as the morning, as sure as the sunrise. The Lord is all I have. The Lord is all I have. So in him I put my trust. Is you've all I got. So I'm just going to hold on to you with everything. God's, whatever you're going through, I'm going to say this with authority, and I know you don't have to believe what I say, um, but His unfailing love and His mercy is still there. And it may feel like God's 100 miles away, but He's not. Because did you know that even when you're complaining, even at the height of your complaints, God's still loving you? So I've got to turn my focus away from my pain 
unto God's love. And here's what I do. I begin to memorize scripture. I begin to meditate on him. I begin to read things that are applicable to that moment, what I'm in. In the third chapter, in the 31st verse, he says this, The Lord is merciful, and he won't reject us forever. He may bring us sorrow. I mean, he may let it happen. He may even be behind it. But his love for us is sure and strong. And he takes no pleasure in causing us grief or pain. God takes no pleasure in in letting your life be miserable. And when you stand beside that graveside and you weep, God is there. And he feels that. And he knows your pain. And when that call comes in and the anxiety comes up, and you think, oh no, what are we going to do? They want me to come back in for another test. And and, and you start, God is right there. And he is with you in that grief. And he feels that. And he cares. God, I've got to focus on that love. Here's the next thing you need to do. The next verse. He's going to talk about this. I need to get alone with God and I need to wait. And this one may be the most difficult for most people. Get alone. We usually skip this step. When you're in a crisis or a tragedy or a major loss, what I want to do, I, I, I jump into pastor mode, fix-it guy. A lot of people do, a lot of fellows do this especially. Okay, what do I got to do? We want, I want to do something. You know, I'm gonna, okay, I'm going to make some calls. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do, and that, I kick into that, and I start getting busy. What I got to know, you know, God says, shh, 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 be still. Be still. Waiting before God is a spiritual discipline. It's, it's this habit and a skill that we acquire. And you must learn, you've got to learn how to wait on God, or you're going to spend most of your life just stressed out all the time. People who don't know how to wait on God are anxious all the time. They don't know how to, how to let that go. So what does it mean? In the Hebrew, it means this. Sit down and shut up. Okay. I'm sorry. That was rude. But it, that's what it means. It means you've got to be quiet. You've got to wait. In fact, this word is one of the most... I, I love this verb... Um, it's in Isaiah. It's the same word when he says those that wait on the Lord. It shows up uh, here in Jeremiah's book in the fourth chapter in the 19th verse. It shows up in Lamentations to wait on the Lord. And it, and it literally means that while you're waiting, you're engaged. You're focused. The word, it means to twist or to wrap, to intertwine, to lean into with hopefulness, with expectancy. It's the same word when they would take cords and weave together to make a rope that's waiting. You see, you're weaving your life around the life of Jesus. You're wrapping yourself in Scripture. You're twisting it all up. And that's what waiting is. I tried to think of something, and I thought, oh, I know what that means. This is the kind of waiting, not like when you're in the, you know, the doctor's office or at the, the car repair place, and you're, you know, you're waiting, and you're just kind of in uh, passive mode. No, what this kind of wait is like a child on Christmas Eve waiting for Christmas Day. You know what I'm talking about? 
Oh, God. Oh, how much time? Oh, oh I better pretend I'm asleep. He might come by. Oh, I, you know, and you're just, and all you can think about is that, but it's with expectation. He says, wait on the Lord. So I start thinking, I'm going through a hard time. I cannot wait to see God. I know you're going to do something in this. I know you are. I know you are. And I'm just going to wait. I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see what you're going to do next. And in that time, I've got to be quiet. When Okan Fonsime, whom the Jinx have adopted, is just beautiful little guy from Haiti first came over and he, he stayed with us quite a bit and he, and he couldn't speak and there were times I would um, I would call Esperance in our, who is a member of our church from the Congo but she speaks French so I would call her and say tell him to brush his teeth and so she could speak French which he was Creole but you know he could understand it in that you know so I was okay now you know tell him this you know and it was just so sweet and he began I began to say things, and he began to respond. So one day I said, you know what I'm saying, don't you? And he nodded, and he smiled, and I said, you know a lot more than people think you do, don't you? And he goes, yes. And he said, because, Pastor Dan, this is my Oaken voice, because I listen. He said, when you talk, I listen. We need to do the same thing. God says, you're so busy, you're running all over the place, and you're doing, shh, sit down and be still and be quiet and listen. Some of you need to do that. I'm going to challenge you to do it every day this week. For the next seven days, take ten minutes a day to listen to God. And I love you to read Scripture. I love you to, to pray. I'm going to talk about that, but I, just to Listen. I've started walking my little dog a, a mile uh, one way and then a mile back. It takes us about 45 minutes because she has to stop and explore about every 20 feet, you know. It's like, wait, wait, something over here. I've got to check it out. And I'm like, really? You know, so it takes us a long time. But I think, and I just listen, and I don't take my headphones in. You know, I said, Lord, I'm just, would you just speak to me? And I just want to be still and be quiet. I need to get alone with the Lord and I just need to listen. Lamentations three twenty eight, and I love this and the way it's written in the message. It says, "When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself. Enter the silence. Enter into the silence. Bow in prayer. Don't ask questions. Don't just wait for hope to appear. And the reason you feel hopeless is you're not waiting for hope." In Matthew 6, uh, Jesus taught this on the Sermon on the Mount. He, he said, find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to act out and do all these things in front of God. He said, just be there as simply and as honestly and as transparent as you can and just shh, be still and let the focus shift from you to God. That's not going to happen unless you be quiet. So I want you to think about that, that commitment, 10 minutes a day for the next seven days. Even if you're not going through crisis, watch what happens in your life. Just that. You think, the, that's it? How simple can you be? That, just do, watch what happens and be quiet. Now in verse 25, Jeremiah says, The Lord is good to everyone who trusts in him. It is best for us to wait in patience, to wait for him to save us. So shut Netflix off, turn off Spotify, you know, put things away, and, and just wait in patience and see. 
the, the, the picture, you know, I always try to think of these pictures that will give an idea about this moment. And this is probably, guys, only you may be able to relate to this. Do you remember in Braveheart when he had this secret plan and he, and he took these long poles and he made these really long spears because they're on horseback and they could get through the line? And you've seen this worked out in different kind of ways in all kind of movies um, where they're going, wait, wait, and you're watching it and you're getting anxious like, oh, go ahead, do it now, do it now. You know, and I'd be one of those guys that would just draw my sword or my gun and go, ah, you know, I would just start shooting and they're going, you know, and he says, wait for it, wait for it. And you know, at that moment, you just think they're getting awfully close and it'll show the horses, they're thundering, and then it shows the guys, they're looking over at Mel like, how about now? This would be, I think now's a good time. You know, and he's like, wait. And the horses are getting closer. And, the, you know, and they're close. You get it? You get it? And all of a sudden, at the very last minute, he goes, now. And they raise those things up just in the nick of time. Or he says, fire. Or who was, I can't remember who it was. I'll say it was Patrick Henry because you probably in your history books don't know either. Uh, said, don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes. I think, whites of their eyes? That's kind of far off. That's kind of getting close, you know. Okay, now, boom. I think God does that with us sometimes. I think God says, wait, wait, wait. Lord, I'm going to make the call. No, 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 no. Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to, no, no, no. Wait, now. This is a principle I am finding out the hard way, so you don't need to. Learn, let me do it the hard way, you do it the easy way. Don't trust your timing. Trust God's timing. Wait till God says, okay, now go. Okay, now pick up the phone. Okay, now. It's beautiful when that happens. Your enemy, the world, is marching against you. And the enemy gets closer and closer and closer. And, and you, sometimes you feel like you're outnumbered 10 to 1. Especially if you have kids, <laughs> especially if you have, you, know, you have all these bills and you have all these things and you think, I'm just getting over this physical problem, now I've got this one. That's not fair. That guy's completely healthy and I've got ten things wrong with me. Wait, wait, now. And watch what God does next. You'll lose the battle every time if you do it on your own timing. Next thing, I change the things that I can change. Now, let me be real clear. There's a lot of things in your life you just can't change. You can't change who your parents were, where you were born, a lot of the physical attributes. Some of you have had an accident or injury or illness that has changed you physically, and, and, and then the doctor said, well, you, you can't change that. Every time I go to the eye doctor, I see Alan Hildebrand, who's, a, who's an optometrist here in our, our church, and I go, fix this. I don't want to wear glasses anymore. He goes, well... Let me put some drops in. Will that, will that give me good vision? No, but you'll feel like I'm doing something. You know, I mean, he's just, you're, what am I going to do? I can't change who you are. Well, I would like that. And sometimes I think we, we feel that way with God. And there's this principle of submission. There's this principle of surrender. And I first began to discover this principle as a sophomore in college. I had all these things that I thought were quirky about myself and about my heritage and about my, my past and, and about myself physically. And I began to understand, God, I just surrender to that and I just submit. You have made me incredibly unique. And, and you wanted me to be exactly the way I am. And for the first time in my life, I just accept that. 
And I'm going to be who you've made me to be and try to express Jesus through my life. And God says, okay, let's deal with your past. First of all, I'm going to give you a brand new past. I'm going to crucify your old past and, I'm, and you and your future. You get a new future, a new past. I'm going to make you new. But there are some things I'm going to leave exactly the same. Faith is facing the facts without being discouraged about it. And while I accept the things that I can't change, I know that there's some things I can. And that's what I focus on. And you know what can be changed? I mean, your life has fallen apart. Uh, somebody's walked out of your life or somebody's died and you can't bring them back. You can't change that. You've lost your job and, you know, you're not going to get it back. And you think, well, what, what can I change? You're probably not going to like this. But the one thing you, you're absolutely, the only thing I know of that you can change is you. You can't change anybody else, so stop trying to change your husband. <laughs> stop trying to change your wife. Well, if she would just, I, I, I get it. But you're not going to change your supervisor, your manager, your pastor. You're not going to change, okay? The only person you're going to change is you. So start to work right there. Now, do it on a couple of levels. One, take a relational inventory. Okay, how can I change in my relationships? Well, you're kind of short with your wife. Well, you speak to the kids harshly or, or you coddle them or you do this. or You know, you're not very respectful to your boss to begin with. You could change that. What if he's not fair? He's not reasonable. I, I understand, but that doesn't give you permission. So just go ahead and be, change the relational and then do a moral inventory. And this goes back to what we talked about when we did all these things in the flesh. Are there habits... Are there hurts and phobias or things in your life that you're allowing to stay there that are messing you up? If you've got sin in your life that you're just trying to keep over here, you know, you need to change you first. In verse 40, Jeremiah says this, Let us examine our ways, that's the inventory, and test them, and then let us return to the Lord. Do that. Start there. And one of the big places to start is working on your fears. Other emotions, the grief, the anger, the frustration, the regret, even the guilt. God's going to help you deal with that. And, and those things are usually temporary. But fear just seems to, to come back. And every time you start rebuilding your life and it's, everything's falling apart, fear keeps coming back. It just paralyzes you. Uh, grief doesn't always paralyze you. Uh, hurt doesn't always, but fear will. Jeremiah had a great reason to be fearful because of all these things that were coming apart. And, and they just treated him so badly because he had to speak the truth, okay? That's what a prophet did. And he got it right every time or they put the prophet to death. You know these people who are uh, like, not mystics, what do you call them? Um, yeah, psychics. Psychics. And they go, well, I missed nine, ten of these and, you know, or whatever. Uh, what would you do if they said, okay, you say you're a prophet? All right, if you're wrong, we're going to kill you right on the spot. Go ahead. What do you think? Uh, never. Let me, hang on. Let me, <laughs> I, I'd go a little slower before. Jeremiah was a prophet, and he said all these things, and they hated the things that he said to them. Do you know what they did? They threw him in a hole. And basically, it was a cistern. It, I don't say it well, but it was like a well. It's got water, and it's stagnant, and it's got bugs, and oh, it's slimy. And they throw him down in there, and he won't shut up. Because God has put this fire in him, and he's got to say the truth. 
And you can just imagine there's this hole. They go, wow, we're so glad we got rid of Jeremiah. Things are bad enough without this gloom and doom guy saying, you know. And then you walk by the hole and you hear something. What is that? You hear something. Repent. Jerry, is that you? Repent. You can't stop this guy. You can't stop this guy. He's, He's in a pit. In verse 53, he says this, My enemies threw me into a pit, and they dropped stones on me. They threw rocks at him. The water flowed above my head, and I cried out, This is the end. But I called on your name, Lord, from deep within the well, and you heard me. You listened to my pleading. You heard my weeping. Yes, you came at my despairing cry, and you told me, Do not fear I love this about God that the first thing when I, when I get still and I wait and I, and I go through these things, the first thing that gets through, God says, Dan, stop being so scared. I'm still here. Don't be afraid. Did you know that there are 365 fear nots, do not fear, in the Bible? I know that's English translation and all that, but I think it's kind of cool that there is a do not fear for every day of the year. For every day. He says, so what I'm going to do next is I'm just going to ask God, would you relieve my fears? And that's what he does. He says, I call on your name. You listened to my pleading. You heard my weeping. You came at my despairing cry and you told me, do not fear. So I always ask the Lord. I say, God, I can't pray straight. I can't think. I'm not going to make a good decision when I'm like this. I know I'm going to make a bad decision. Would you relieve my fears? Would you take this emotion from me? David did that in Psalm 34, 4. He said, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me, freeing me from all my fears. God wants you to be fear-free at those moments because you're not going to make a good decision. You're not going to make good choices. Psalm 27, 13 says, I would have despaired when my world fell apart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God isn't through with me, but how the enemy, how the world is going to shut you down, it's going to make you scared. Well, if you do that, well, if you say this, that's the reason some of you don't tithe. That's the reason some of you don't give. So as you're so scared, you're not going to have enough money. Well, we can't pay our bills. I, I promise you, God will do more with 90% than you can do with 100. I've proven this over and over again. And I've stopped being scared of God with my finances. I've stopped being scared of Him with, uh, you know, you just, it's, it's, it's amazing. Fear. Someone came up with this little acronym. False evidence appearing real. F-E-A-R. False evidence appearing real. If you think your life is beyond restoration, you're wrong. That's just fear. That's just fear. Okay, the last thing. He said this. I I have to expect that Jesus is going to restore my life. He's not done. He's not done. You're in the first or the second or the middle chapter of your life. He's not finished yet. Don't give up. Paul said in Philippians 127... Don't lose heart. Don't give up yet. Lamentations 5.21 says, Restore us, O Lord, and bring us back to you again. Give us back the joys we once had. I thought you didn't remember being happy. 
And it's starting to come back to me now that I'm being still and the fear is going away and I'm listening. Bring back those joys we used to have. Some of your marriages don't feel real joyful and you're ready to give up on it. Don't. He can bring it back better than your wedding day. Some of you don't care for your parents or your children and you think, well, the joy's just gone out of this. Or Don't give up yet. Don't quit. Don't walk away yet. When you let Jesus bring you back, he will give you back. When, you, when, when God brings you back to Jesus, he's going to bring you back the joy. Don't give up yet. And that may be why you even came today, to hear those, just those three words, don't give up. Not yet. It's not time yet. It's never time. I want to say a prayer for you, and we're going to sing a powerful song that I think is going to minister to your heart and your soul. And as I pray, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you feel like Jeremiah, you're in a pit, and you don't know what's going on. Maybe you feel like the world has come against me, and and you're in a spiritual warfare. I'm just going to ask you to kneel and to pray right here, and I'm going to pray with you, and I'm going to pray over you. And I commit this. I'm going to pray for you every day this week. Every day. We're going to pray for each other. Maybe if you see a friend come forward and you know what they're dealing with, you know there's a struggle, maybe you just want to pray. Maybe you just want to come up and just, just real quietly put your hands on, on their back or their shoulders and, and just whisper a prayer with them on their behalf. Because you're not in a crisis now, but you will be. You see, we don't live this alone. We don't do this by ourselves. We do this as the body of Christ. We do this together. That's why he has given us each other. Let's don't waste our hurt. Let's don't waste our grief. The world will not have a victory over us. We will defeat this enemy. Let's do that together. Let me pray. Um, You can just stay right where you are unless you want to come up. And like I say, if you want to kneel, that's fine. If you can do it right where you are, it doesn't doesn't really matter. I'm I'm going to pray. Oh, Father. You know above and more than anyone else all the frustrations in our hearts. And you know the things that nobody else knows. And some people are feeling so desperate right now and no one, not their best friends or anyone knows. And you know the things that I thought were unfair and unrealistic and the things that I've rebelled against and resisted and the things I don't like. And I give you all of my frustrations. And I want to turn my focus now from my pain to your love. And you've said that hope returns when I remember this one thing, that that the Lord's unfailing love and mercy will continue. God, I believe that. Thank you for that love. I believe you are faithful and you are sure and strong. And when life is heavy and when the world is hard to take, I'm going to go off by myself and I'm going to enter the silence. And today, I commit to spending 10 minutes in silence with you, just you and me, every day for the next seven days. Father, help me to change the things I can to accept the things I can't. Help me to stop working on changing other people and just start working on me. Most of all, Lord, I ask you to relieve the fear. When I feel like I've been thrown into a pit, 
and the water's coming up and stones are coming down, and I think this is the end, I will call on your name. And from deep within that well, you're going to listen and you're going to hear my cries and you're going to hear me weeping and you're going to come. And Jesus, you're going to say, do not fear. And so I prayed, just like Jeremiah prayed all those years ago, Lord, restore me. Bring me back to you again. And give me the joy that I once had.